Praise the name of Jesus. Praise his holy name. Let me just once more welcome everyone as we take our seats. It's quite a very tricky thing. It's a tricky time. Amen. We have, we want to do more. We have less time, isn't it? But you know, the good thing is that now I'm happy about the fact that church is not going to be the same anymore. And we have had time to reflect on how we do churches as people. What do we waste time on? What do we use time in a, a, a worthy manner on? And so there's a few things we want to share this morning that in a sense seek to envision us as we go forward. Amen. And I want to challenge each and every one of us to relook at our lives. When we, before we, 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 we went on lockdown, uh, you remember, for those who, who, who heard the story, after the, the, the concussion, I, was, I had gone to hospital and I was, I was sitting at home and the Holy Spirit asked me a question. And this question didn't make sense to me then. Uh, it was a series of questions, but actually leading to one question. And the, the, the questions or the series were, was, what would you do if you discover suddenly that you don't have, there's no opportunity to worship if it was to happen that there is no church, you can't go to church, you can't do anything. And the, the major question that everything was leading to was this question that he asked me, how will be the state of my relationship with you? I, I thought it was a rhetoric question. I thought about it, but I didn't feel the need to answer it. But as we were preaching in Lesotho just before, you know, the, the sabbatical was to end, I was telling them that, you know, God spoke this thing, God spoke this thing. I haven't even shared in our church Well, Arab members of our church were there. But a week after we came back from Lesotho, they, 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 the government declared the, the shutdown, you know. We were locked down after that. And suddenly I felt like, God prepared me for this thing. But God prepared me, but I was not prepared. If, if you understand what I mean. God forewarned me, but I didn't take the necessary preparatory steps to get through what I need to get through. And so I was almost caught off guard like everyone, but at least I, just in terms of my thinking and what, I was more or less prepared. Languta Gerbazalan. And so, a few weeks ago, God then asked me other questions. I already shared these questions with the leaders that I want to share with you today. I'm thinking I'm ready for post-lockdown. You know, most of us, I'm sure most of us who are here, you are like, yo, you know, we, there's posts that are going. When church opens, we will do. And a, a lot of what is posted focuses on the fun of what church will be post-lockdown, isn't it? People are shown dancing and what, and I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I'll come back a changed man. And the Holy Spirit asked me these questions. One, what are you currently preparing for the most in your life right now? 
two, what are you prepared for right now the most? It's not the same question. Are you hearing that? The one part is asking, if you were to die now, if anything was to happen to you now, what are you prepared for? In other words, your current state of existence, your current state of being and conviction and pursuits and ambitions, if it was to stop now, what are you hoping for beyond the grave? But the second part of the question is asking, in the event that you are given another month, another two years, another 10 years, another 50 years, what are you going to spend time preparing for the most? And I started thinking about the things I'm preparing for. I'm, I'm thinking, and I'm not just thinking that's just me. I'm thinking about you. Some of us are thinking, well, I'm preparing to be better Post-COVID, I need to save better. I need to love people better. I need to, what? Put my financial situations in order. So, so a lot of what we are preparing for the most, the summary of it is, is temporal. We have not really changed. We have shifted our, the intensity of our ambitions, but we have not changed our ambitions. I don't know if you hear what I'm saying this morning. But he was clear to me, he says, unless you are prepared for the most, the coming of Jesus Christ, unless you are, not, unless you are preparing for his coming back the most, then you are not preparing very well. Are, are you hearing me? You know the story of the five foolish ladies? They knew that the groom was coming, isn't it? But they held their lamps. The Bible tells us that their lamps had oil. Their lamps were not empty according to their Bible. To the Bible. But it says... Their, their lamps were to run out of what? Oil. So it was not a question of I don't have. It was a question of you are not preparing for the most. You are not looking at filling the oil so that when the groom comes, the oil is full. And when the groom came, they were not found ready. Why? Because now they are thinking, I need to prepare. In the process of late preparation, they missed the coming. So the point that I'm trying to drive this morning is make sure that your preparation goes the most to the state in which you will stand in before God when he comes. Make sure that your preparation is such that when you die, you have no regrets. I was just saying, we were talking with one of the brethren that one of the things that is happening now is that in the past, people, our parents were detached from us as their children. You know that type of thing. Like your parents are your parents. They are not your buddy buddies. You don't chat. You don't. So our parents pretty much were, were providers mostly. 
But now the current state of affairs with us as parents is that we live for our children. We do everything for our children. Major parts of our preparation are to the extent that our kids live a better life later. And so you have defined yourself we along the lines of what your children are becoming. But the Bible teaches us to raise and train the children not to live for them. Children are going to be a great distraction these days for most parents. Because the Bible tells us that Christ, he died so that those who live may no longer live for themselves, not to mention their children. Not to mention their jobs, not to mention anything that is inherently not mentioned. But that they live for him who died for them. So if your preparation is such that you fall short of living for the glory of God, you fall short of being filled with the Holy Spirit and the passion for the mission of Christ and for the king and his kingdom. Your preparation a friend is short-circuited. You will have the passion to come to church and then the Lord will say, but this thing I have against you. Look at your lamp. Are you there, saints? So this morning, there's just a few other things I want to highlight about what I think we should be doing going forward. So as we reopen, we need to ask ourselves, to what end are we reopening? Why are we reopening churches? Why should churches be reopened? And why is it important to you? Yes, we must open for fellowship, isn't it? The Bible says we must fellowship. Yes, we must open for training people because the Bible says we must train the saintly equip them for the work of the ministry. But also importantly, we must open to sharpen our missional edge. You must sharpen yourself in fulfilling the Great Commission because the only eternal thing you are taking out of this world based on your commitment is souls that you win. Every other thing you cannot take. Think about it. Anything that I'll ever do in this world, I cannot take out of this world into eternity. There's two things that we are taking out of this world. One is ourselves. And we souls ourselves. You're taking yourself to whatever destiny you worked for, you chose. But then you are also taking that which will either burn, the Bible says your works are going to be tested. You, either what you're taking will burn or it will give you a crown of life. And the, the Bible calls that thing works for which God prepared us. Works God prepared for us in time immemorial. And most of that work has to do with what Jesus said. Go into the whole world and make disciples. Are you still there, Vazalan? I'm kind of, you know, tangenting from my notes, but it's okay. And so we need to strive more to bring God glory. And so those of us who say we want the church to open, 
We are happy the church is opened. One of the first things you must do is to have a strong desire and conviction not to be babysitted anymore. Is to have a very clear conviction of your commitment to being a soldier in a war that has not demilitarized zone. You must be aware that this is a war and it's getting fiercer and fiercer. And many people are going to become collateral damage in this war. The Bible says even the elect, some people will leave the faith. Things are going to be comfortable such that people don't want to pay the price. Things are going to be so hard so that other people feel the price is too high to pay. To pay. So when you come back, you must not come back to just have fun anymore. You must come back with an understanding that there is a corporate anointing that makes us stronger than when we are individuals. There is a blessing that comes when we are corporately involved. There is a blessing and a victory that comes in godly numbers. So you can no longer come with a mentality of the individualism. You have to come with a sense that now let's hold hands together. Because it is no longer a matter of bigger numbers. It's a matter of covenant numbers. The Bible says they were in one accord. How many people were fed at one point? The Bible says 5,000 men excluding children, and women and children. At one point, it was 4,000. But how many were in the upper room? 120. What state were they in? They were in one accord. It was no longer numbers. It was covenantal numbers. Are you, are you still hearing me, saints? Yeah, so this morning, I would like us to speak, take us through the ways that God spoke to Jeremiah to shake off his immature perspective about himself and to embrace the maturity of the task that lied ahead of him. I wished to read, but I, I, okay, let me just read it as much as I can. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1. I want to, to discipline myself within the confines of the time that we are trying to work on. It says... The words of Jeremiah, I'm reading from verse 1. Son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Down to the 5th month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah. When the people of Jerusalem went into exile... I wanted to take you through this journey, but I'm, I'm asking you, please go and read this, this journey. Né? I'm just going to take you there shortly. Let's go to the book of second. Okay, you are in Jeremiah still, right? What does verse 1 say? The words of Jeremiah, son of who? One of the who? Of the priest of? So let's go to the book of second Kings. 2 Kings 22, these are the things that we should be doing most of the time. But um, 
So it says Jeremiah prophesied during the reign of Josiah, of Joachim, of Joachim, and of Zedekiah. It doesn't mention another guy called Jehoaz. But I want to take you through this thing quickly. So it says Jeremiah was the son of Hilkiah, of the priest. Again. So let's read quickly. Verse 1 of 2 Kings, what did I say? Verse chapter 20. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidiah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Boscath. He, he did what was right. Are you hearing that? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent secretary Shaphan, son of Azaleah, the son of Methuselah, to the temple of the Lord. Listen to what he said. Jeremiah is the son of who? Helkiah. Listen to what it says. It says, go up to Helkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which... The doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to them, appoint to them men to supervise the work on the temple. And have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also have the, them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. Now listen to this matter. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan who read it. Now, I wish we can read the whole thing, but I'm sure if you go and read, you'll hear these things and understand them better. Jeremiah is the son of Hilkiah. Hilkiah is the priest. Are you following? Now, Hilkiah is the... is mandated by the king. You've read that part again. But what I want to highlight is this. Hilkiah says, I have found the book of the law. They take the book of the law to the king. The king, if you have read, it says, Josiah made reformations. He was one of the godliest kings in Israel, in, in Judah. Are you following? So, in his time, there was a time of covenant. They started restoring the covenant. They started celebrating the Passover. Godliness was restored. So what is the background of Jeremiah? I want you to picture Jeremiah as a child. Jeremiah is living in a godly, in a religious family. Are you following? Jeremiah is part of, he's seeing all these godly reformations in the nations. But the Bible says after that, Joahaz became a king for three months. Forget about him. They just dethroned him. Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim. There's a difference of an M, right? Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. The Bible says they did evil. And Zedekiah hated Jeremiah. Are you following? So, this background thing is taking long. But it's important for you to understand. Because when you read and you have not read the background, stuff don't make sense. So, Jeremiah has a background a godly background 
but is now placed in an ungodly leadership. Are you following? He started prophesying under Josiah when reformations were made. Now he's continuing to, pre, to, to prophesy under three wicked kings. And this thing starts taking toll on him as a person. At his call, which is where we are, verse 5 of Jeremiah chapter 1, the Bible tells us there that God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you, in your mother's womb, I knew you. Hey, what's the Before you were born, I sanctified you. I separated you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. I'm not going to finish. But let me just capture these ideas. We'll we rework other ideas next week. God comes to Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, I'm calling you. Jeremiah says, I am young. I can't speak. God says, no, 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 no. Jeremiah, before I formed you. Ne? So many important things there that, you know, I wanted us to get you envisioned about. Firstly, it says, before I, who's speaking, when he introduces himself to Moses, he says, I am, right? So now, he says, before I formed you, what does the I appeal to? It appeals to the attributes of the one who did the formation. So God says, I, number one, what do we know about God? God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all-able. God, nothing is hidden from God. God with him, nothing is impossible. Are you following, Mazalat? So God says, I formed you. I'll have to send you the note. So God is first saying, look at my attributes before you judge what I say. Ask if the one who's saying these things is able to do them. And God says, before I formed, formed appeals to the process of engineering something. Are you following? So God says, before I engineered you, I knew you. What is God's knowledge? God knows everything. God knew what he has to face. God knew what he has to possess to face what he has to face. God knew the valleys and the mountains and the fires he will go through. And here's the engineering genius of God. He placed in him what was necessary to go through it. But Jeremiah, as he's called, he's not even aware of it. God says, I engineered you. I was asking the leaders this question, that why do we love German cars? Why do we love certain types of cars? We love the cars based on their engineering. You understand? And these cars, if they were able to speak, they'll tell you a secret. When you go off-road to the mountains and the what-what, do you take a... a, a you're nicely then. No. You take a four-wheel drive, and not just any, or you have seen those ones, when the steep is like this, the car that can just stop with two wheels. It doesn't go back. The traction has a strong traction. But when you go to Formula One, do you take the same car? No. 
Oh, but can you imagine a Formula One car coming to the mountains and saying to the four-wheel drive, hey, I'm going to take you today. You know what the four-wheel drive will say? Let's not have that conversation. You are not engineered for these conditions. In a similar manner, the Formula One would tell the four-wheel drive on those tracks, let's not have this conversation. Why? Because you are not engineered for what I'm engineered for. Are you there, saints? And so sometimes the problem is because the Formula One car stands next to the mountain and shivers, the, the, the 4x4 looks at the shivering in the Formula One and starts shivering too. Because he doesn't understand, ah, oh, you can shiver because you are not engineered for this, but I am. And so the Bible says to us, do not fear what they fear because they were not engineered for these situations. We are engineered for the last days. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying, but the Lord. I'm saying to you this morning, when God says, I have made you, David says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your thoughts towards me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But God did not just engineer us for aesthetics. He didn't just engineer us for beauty. He engineered us for performance and endurance. That's why God says, when you go through fire, because you were engineered to go through fire. You were engineered to go through waters. You were engineered to go through the valley of the shadow of death. The Bible says, we are from above. I, I don't know. Languka marne. And so God, every time he called men and women, he appealed to his engineering in them. He comes, he says to Joshua, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people into their end. And Joshua is like, eh. why is God saying be strong and courageous? Because I have put strength and courage in there. Tap into it, Joshua. He says to Gideon, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon is like, eh? is there someone else? Is there an invisible? He says, you. Because you, I have engineered. He says to Moses, Moses, go and speak to Pharaoh. I will make you like God to Pharaoh. Hey, Bazaran, I can say so many things. He tells Paul, he says, Paul, don't be afraid. You will stand before Caesar. You will not die here. And because God engineered us that way, he was, Paul was so engineered that even at the point of being stoned, he didn't die. You know how many Christians were killed by lions? But Daniel was not engineered to be eaten by lions. You know how many Christians were killed by fire? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not engineered. They were engineered to enjoy this thing and pass. What am I saying to us? I'm saying it's a pity that the church does not trust its engineer and does not trust their own engineering. God has no other solution for the world except us. And he has engineered us for the solution.
But as it stands now, we are timid with everyone. History is going to judge this church as the only church in church generation in history that didn't have a solution of God's power when the world needed it the most. Every part of history, the church stood up. I tell you, go and read your history. Even when people were shaking, when you hear about this baboon pandemic, when you hear, go and check mighty men of God who stood up. Guys like Bo John G. Lake, who when they put the viruses on them, viruses died. So there is power in our engineering for high performance under great pressure. But there is no willingness to change gears. Even a Formula One car, you can pass it with a quid if it just drives in gear one. Perhaps a Formula car, Formula One car can pass a quid at gear number two when a quid is in gear number five. Are you following what I'm saying? But for as long as a Formula One is in gear one, and quid is in five. I don't know if you are driving quid. It could be any of the cars. All I'm saying is, none of our cars in their current state can compete with that car if it's driving at its full potential. But since it decides I'm going to be in gear one, and quid is taking this thing seriously, it's in gear five, quid will win. But don't be deceived. The win was never based on potential. It was based on the carelessness of the Formula One car driver. Time is up. But we are going to just pray. We have 10 minutes. Yeah, we have 10 minutes. Let's contextualize, right? You are engineered for high performance and endurance. You are engineered to pass where other people don't pass. Because you have been given advantages your engineer, the Bible says, nothing is impossible with him. Even when you are thinking, hey, something is not right with my engine, he can fix you any day. But in your engineering, there is a turbo booster. The Bible says, nothing is impossible to him that believes. You can tap into something that other people cannot. Greater is he that is in us than the one that is in the world. We have the name of Jesus, others don't. In the name of Jesus, Jesus says, you can ask anything in my name. 
We have so many adjustments we can make. You are told that if you ask anything according to my will, it will be done. Others don't even know there's such a promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Man, the devil knew this. He says, God, Job loves you because you made a hedge around him. We have all these privileges of our engineering and the provisions of our engineer. And yet, we are driving in gear one. And we are passed by cars. People who have no God, people who go to Sangomas who do things, they're passing us like they are better engineered than us. Shall we stand up? Hey, let's just use this uh, remaining time fruitful. Eh? So what we're going to do is we had discussed the issue about offering. So Mr. Mesh, what we would rather do is we'll just put the box here at the exit point. If you, you can just offer there, if you have brought offering, we'll just put them. Don't worry, the, the ashes are going to use um, latex or plastic uh, gloves. So we're supposed to explain these procedures. But I see myself, I see you. Driving gear number one on a time factored race. Did you hear what I, I just said? This is a time-factored race. If you are running a comrades marathon, there's this thing that they call a cut-off time. I pray that you and I don't experience cut-off time. Because cut-off time says you possibly had the potential to finish, but you didn't maintain the right pace. Languta Bazalan. So I... I want to finish. And I want to finish strong. I want to finish and I want to have no regrets. I don't want, I've seen so many people who lie on a sick bed, dying, wishing, I'm talking Christians, wishing they took at least two things serious. Loving God and fulfilling the Great Commission. And that time is too late. All they can have is a pastor to come and preach, pray over them to appease their consciences. When they were given a mandate to go and pray over others to bring the kingdom. So let's just take time to pray. Uh, we'll just pray and worship and close off. What we are praying for. Is God help me change my gears. This is a time factor race. You don't have tomorrow. You can't promise yourself tomorrow. Adjust your gears as soon as now. 
shall we lift up our voices. Heavenly Father, we thank you for grace and mercy. We thank you that you speak to us this morning to make the adjustments that we need to make. We're looking at ourselves and we are wondering, am I ready for the coming of the Lord? If He came now, will I be ready? Am I doing the will of God so that I can have the confidence before God? Father, reform our hearts. Reform our convictions, Lord. Change our hearts. Remove the pride. Remove the arrogance. Remove the indifference. Remove the wealthiness. Help us, Lord, by your spirit to be sanctified, O oh Lord. Help us by your spirit to have a changed mindset. The renewing of our minds so that we no longer conform to the standards of this world, Lord. Oh, Bring fire, fire, fire in our spirit, Lord. For the gospel to be preached, let the word of God be like fire shut up in our bones that we no longer keep quiet where we are supposed to speak, Lord. Yes, Lord. Ah, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Change our hearts, Lord. This reopening of churches, Lord. This reopening of Cosmos City services, Lord. If it is to make us look warm, Lord, may we, you help us that we are not subjected to conditions that will lead us to greater judgment, Lord. But let this reopening, Lord, be a new floodgates of the working of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. Be the, the, the new floodgates, Lord, of men and women who are ready to preach the gospel and see signs and wonders and bring solutions to this dying world, Lord. Let each and every one of us, through the reopening of our services, Lord, be energized and be trained and equipped to do the good works for which they were prepared, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, even as we will be going home, Lord, we want to thank you. We want to thank you. Continue doing your work in us. <laughs> 